Hello and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbert. And we hope that you're having a great week. We really, truly do. We thank you so much for joining us uh, at this time. We are going to look at Isaiah chapter 53 today as the Lord gives us time. It is the fourth and final servant song in the book of Isaiah. And really, as, as you look at Isaiah 53, we, we like to say that those 12 verses is the servant song that's recorded here uh, by Isaiah the prophet, but really it begins in chapter 52 and verse 13. So, so there's not 12 verses, there's 15 verses that deal with um, the contents of Isaiah 53 and this prophecy concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And what amazes me about this, uh, of course there's a lot of dispute about the book of Isaiah, but Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus came. And yet, when you read this passage, it is so specific and clear. Uh, there's no doubt who this passage is talking about. Um, for example, the, the rabbis, um, from the time Isaiah wrote up, up to the time of Jesus, understood this passage was referring to the Messiah. Now, they couldn't quite figure it all out. Uh, they, they really didn't like the idea of the Messiah being a suffering servant because they had him pictured as the victorious conqueror. And so some even postulated that there would be two Messiahs, the victorious one and the suffering one, which is not taught in Scripture. No. Uh, but they understood that this was a messianic prophecy until the time of Jesus. You can go back historically and see that when Christians started to proclaim Jesus out of this passage, the interpretation and understanding of the rabbis suddenly changed. Now it was Israel that was the suffering servant, not any individual. And yet the context does not support that no. at all. But I can remember uh, some time ago uh, reading of an instance where a, a man was speaking with a young Jewish woman about the gospel, and he started reading Isaiah 53. He didn't identify it. He just said, let me read you this passage, and read Isaiah 53. And when he got done, she said, oh, well, we don't believe in the New Testament, which means she understood what this passage was talking about. That's right. She knew it was referring to Jesus. Of course, it was a surprise to her when the gentleman told her, well, actually, this is from Isaiah. So there's no doubt uh, as to who this passage is referring to because it's so marvelously specific. And having been written 700 years before the events that it describes, to me, just speaks of inspiration. Absolutely. There's just no way that anyone could have foreseen this these are prophecies that Jesus couldn't look at and say, oh, I'll need to fulfill that one. I'll need to do something to fulfill that passage because these things were beyond his power. Yes. Uh, so, uh, and also we, we look at Acts chapter 8 when the uh, evangelist Philip met up with the eunuch in his chariot and heard him reading from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8 specifically, and uh, asked him if the eunuch understood what he was reading. He said, I can't unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip up, and he asked his question based on verses 7 and 8. 
and asked, is this is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And the scripture tells us that beginning at this passage, he preached to him Jesus. That's right. So Philip understood that it referred to Jesus. We don't know if Philip was inspired or not. Either way, doesn't matter. He knew it referred to Jesus. And as a result of his teaching, the eunuch obeyed the gospel and went on his way uh, rejoicing. So uh, just a powerful, fascinating passage, one that really every Christian ought to be familiar with. Absolutely. It, it's the culmination of the servant songs in Isaiah. Yeah, it's so clear, and it says so much about him. So, so we'll read it. It's Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13. It says, Behold... Consider this is what that means. Behold, the Lord saying, pay attention. My servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider so again obviously very prophetic there's something down the road here saying this is going to happen and isaiah says by inspiration my servant shall deal prudently uh, and just think about jesus in the new testament that's exactly uh, how he dealt with every situation yep great great prudence about him mm-hmm. lots of wisdom lots of self-control one thing that strikes me at the very start of all this Isaiah sets the tone because in verse 13 he says my servant shall deal prudently he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high this is the only place where these three terms are used when not addressing Jehovah right so that says a couple of things first of all since these terms apply to Jehovah and Jehovah now applies them to his servant then his servant is equal to he to him Right, same phrases are used for him. Yep. That's right. And and we see the fulfillment of this in Philippians 2, where we're told that he is exalted very high. He's given a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So truly he was exalted and extolled and lifted up to be very high. That's right. And if you're comparing that, you want to look at Isaiah 52, 13 and Philippians 2, 9. So the language, obviously referencing always Jehovah, God Almighty. And, and so here we are. His servant is now given these things, these attributes about him. Verse 14, just as many as were astonished at you, so his visage was marred mm-hmm. more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So this, I believe, speaks to the crucifixion. The condition of his physical frame, uh, that he was beaten, uh, visage, you know, his physical frame was marred. Um, it just speaks of just being destroyed um, to the point of he would not be recognizable when it comes time to be put on the cross. That he had taken such a beating throughout that day from the Jews first when he was on trial. They remember they blindfolded him, they punched him in the face repeatedly, and they said, "Prophesy to us, Christ, who is it?" who is hitting you. And so, so they turn this into a game. They're spitting on him. They're punching him uh, while he is blindfolded. And I believe it's personal belief of mine, but I believe that Jesus did not use uh, his powers as the divine 
um, to anticipate those punches. I, I think he stood there as a man mm-hmm. yeah. and was he not able to brace himself. Right. It, it's one thing to get punched when you know it's coming and, and kind of, you know, try to move Roll in that direction. a little bit, yeah. It is far different when you are hit without the ability. Yeah, you're blindsided. You're sucked Every punched. time. Yeah. Every time. And, and, you know, somebody's spitting on you and saying, who hit you? And, I mean, it is such a shameful, disgraceful way for him to be treated. But Isaiah tells us here that his visage was marred. So when we see him in front of Pilate, when we see him at the cross, and we try to picture that in our mind as we should, um, he, he is beyond what we are willing, I think, to imagine in, in our minds. Isaiah 50 in verse 6 says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. And so that deals with that directly. It wasn't just the punching and the spitting, which is mentioned here, but Isaiah 50 in verse 6 says that they plucked out his beard, which would have been extremely shameful for a Jewish man, wouldn't it? Yep, shameful, painful, obviously. But yes, uh, we recall from the Old Testament when... uh, an embassy of Jew, uh, David's servants was sent to a foreign king. They were sent back with half of their robes cut off so that their their buttocks were exposed, mm. which is humiliating in any case. Yeah. But also half their beards were shaved off. And David is- put them in isolation and said, here, you stay here, we'll take care of you while your beards grow back. They were ashamed to be in public. Yeah, And, and they were treated that way the king was sending them back that way to embarrass and humiliate david it was an affront to israel so yeah to have your beard messed up like that and that's what they were doing to jesus not only to inflict pain but to embarrass and humiliate him and kind of figuratively robbing him of his jewishness so to speak yeah, this is, I mean, God the Father, by inspiration, speaking of his son and what he will ultimately go through, he just says these things in a, by way of matter of fact. He, he'll be exalted and extolled very high, uh, but his visage is going to be marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. And then he says, just coming straight out of that in verse 15, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them they shall see and what they had not heard, they shall consider. Sprinkling the nations, I think there's a, a obviously pointing to the blood, the sprinkling of the blood, the washing and the cleansing of the blood. He will sprinkle many nations. And this idea that kings, you know, you think of men of great power and authority, that all the wisdom in the world is set before them, no matter what age they reign in, that they have everything available to them that is available because they're the king. And God says, I'm going to put something in front of you. You're a king in the realm I've allowed you to, to live and dwell in. I'm going to set something in front of you that will blow your mind. You could not consider it. You couldn't have thought about it on your own. And yet it's going to be set before you. And you will be forced to contemplate what has been done for the souls of men. And so just think about kings. You know, nothing, nothing startles them. I mean, uh, they've seen it all. They, they can have people beheaded. They, they've seen gore. They know what that's about. But this now this picture of a servant of God whose name will be extolled and exalted exceedingly high, is also the same one who will be brought to the lowest point a person can be brought Mm -hmm. in order to accomplish something that God has called him to do. Kings can't entertain thoughts like that on their own. No, and uh, again, we're going back to to Philippians 2, at least I am in my mind. Mm -hmm. He was exalted 
to, to wear a name above every other, to sit on God's right hand, to be given all authority and on power, all power in heaven and on earth. It's because he humbled himself. He came as a man. Here's God leaving his heavenly glory, becoming a man. Even less than that, he becomes a servant among right. men. Mm-hmm. Even less than that, he suffers death. He submits himself to death. Here's, here's God allowing himself to die, essentially, his human body. But even worse than that, the most humiliating, disgusting, torturous death that could be inflicted at that time, crucifixion. So Jesus basically lived by his teaching. The least shall be the greatest. And truly he accomplished that. He, he, he humbled himself as low as it is possible to humble yourself. And as a result of carrying out the Father's will, he was exalted to be the most high. Just, awesome. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, it <laughs> it's really is. To, it's so hard deep, to wrap your head around. So profound. So that, that's the introduction to bring us into what we know is Isaiah 53 and verse 1. That, that passage here says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. So, so the initial question here, Isaiah, who has believed our report? Uh, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? R- really, the arm of the Lord has been revealed to everyone. Yep. But the question is, who has believed it? Who, mm-hmm. who will who take hold of this report? message? Yeah. Yeah, and, and what this is picturing, you, you can divide this servant song since it is a song you can divide it into the verses of a song the passage we just read in isaiah 52 verses 13 through 15 is sort of the introduction it's the summary of what is going to be discussed in the song yeah these first three verses in chapter 53 talk about his rejection israel's rejection of their messiah who's believed our report no people don't believe it no they don't accept it um even though he's going to be harmless and he's not going to attract any attention because he's physically beautiful or anything. Right. Uh, he has no form or comeliness. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. But he's despised and rejected by men. This is what's going to happen. Uh, so this, the table's been set. He talks about what the response is going to be But then in the second stanza, in verse 4, down through verse 6, he also talks about the reason and the significance for the Messiah's suffering. Right. It's it's for atonement. Yeah. It's to reunite us, reconcile us to God. That's right. It's something else that's interesting in the beginning first three verses that he shall grow up. Uh, Many of the Jews, as they Mm. consider this, they, that doesn't jive with what they thought the Messiah would be or that, you know, that God coming to save them. They, they didn't expect this process of growing up. They, they thought God would appear to them. Of course, there was a lot of different thoughts and concepts and ideas built around this, but that he would just appear and fix everything. 
And so th- th- this passage conflicts with that idea that, that he's going to grow up. And, and as we've been pointing out, we get to see Jesus grow up. We know how he's born. We know who his parents are. We see him at the age of 12 in the temple uh, about his father's business. And so it's frustrating for them. But, but it says that he shall grow up before him. So we see this little boy growing up before Almighty God as a tender plant, one that has been rooted in dry ground. It's not the right place for him. This is not where he belongs ultimately. And I, I think it's very interesting. You speak to an arborist or if you go to a nursery where you know plants are sold, which I've done a little bit. I'm not successful. I'm not claiming to be, but I've done a little bit of plant investigation. <laughs> um, when you go and you want to purchase plants, really they, they try to put, nurseries try to put plants in three categories. Um, the, the one that's most capable of doing well is the hardy. Mm-hmm. The hardy plant is one that's typically indigenous to the area. Uh, they're just going to thrive. You put them in the ground and they'll just do what they're supposed to do because this is where they belong. And it's really a very interesting picture. The second category is tolerant. Uh, now, they're not going to do as well as native plants would, but they will adapt and they will do well if they're cared for and they're tended to. Uh, the tolerant can handle the area that you live in. And the third one is tender. And basically, that's a warning to you saying, don't buy this plant. Hmm. Um, it's not going to do well. This, it, it means this plant, the tender plant, is never at home in, in your house or, or where you live. Uh, you can plant them and, and you can keep them alive, but they will never grow up and show you all that they truly are. And I, I think that's really interesting as God says, he will grow up as a tender plant. Um, the only way he could flourish and be everything that he actually is is if he was in if he was where he's truly from. And so there's there's a picture, you know. Uh, he, he's going to do everything he's needs to do, but we see in the mountain of transfiguration that he, there's a there's something happening where he, his greatness is shown to those three apostles. But he's a tender plant, and he he's out of. where he naturally should be, I, I yeah. guess, is, is the, is the best way that I can put it. Yeah. And he even says that in Matthew 8 and verse 20. Remember, the scribe comes to him and says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He, he says, this is not my home. Yeah. He yeah. tells Pilate that too. My kingdom is not of this world. Uh-huh. So so that yeah. picture is constantly given to us, and I think that's very interesting as we see it in Isaiah. Mm. That he is a tender plant. And then we have, there's no form or comeliness. We talked about that a little bit earlier about uh, he's not especially attractive. Uh, he doesn't look like royalty. Yeah. Yeah, there's, and I think there's a reason for that. It, I like to contrast this with Saul. Because how did, how did Israel view Saul when he was presented as their king? Wow, he's, he's tall. Yeah. He's taller than everybody here. We really notice him. Well, there was nothing physical about Jesus to be noticed he's he's an average guy walking down the street yeah by appearance yep and i believe that's because god didn't want people attracted to his physical appearance he wanted them to be attracted to his message that's right not not his his face but his words and the teaching that he had to give because that's gonna that's gonna filter people out everybody can be attracted to to someone who's pretty and and charismatic we see that all the time. Yeah, that's right. But but Jesus came not to win a beauty pageant or a, a modeling show. He came to reveal the message. 
and to say, as he said, seek and save the lost. I think that's important too for people. If someone's just struggling, but you know, by their appearance or something that troubles them about themselves, we've touched on this in previous episodes. But um, you know, they're, they're upset because they look a particular way. We need to take them to Isaiah fifty-three too. When we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So you say God has the ability to make you however he wants and give you certain attributes physically, whatever he wants, he can do it. And he has, he's done whatever he wanted to do with me and with you and with everyone else. And we say, well, you know, I wish he would have done this or that, but there's no favoritism given to Jesus in that respect. He's just yeah. not. Yeah. Well, outward appearance can be deceiving too. Yeah, of course. I mean, we see people in the world who Beautiful women, handsome men. I mean, people just, wow, That I wish I looked like them. People are drawn but, to that. But they're ugly people. When you get to know them, their character, mm. they're avaricious, they're arrogant, they're greedy. Uh, you, as, as the scripture says, man looks at the appearance. That's right. But God looks at the heart. And we can be deceived by the outward appearance. And so... If if a, a woman, for example, that I barely know walked up to me and just off the wall said, do you think I'm pretty? My response would be, well, I don't know you very well. Oh, nice. Way to deflect. Because, well, <laughs> it's because the beauty is not in her face. Yeah. It, and it's not in her figure. It's in her character. Yeah. Are you a, a godly woman? Are you a humble daughter of, of God? Do you serve Jesus Christ with all your heart? that will make you a beautiful person. I love that you said that. That's an amazing thing because someone who says, you know, I wish God had made me beautiful. He has. He it, can. It's and up to yeah, you. It's up to you. Let him work on you. And if you wish God would have done more with your physical beauty, then then work on your spiritual beauty personally. And you, you that can be as great as you want it to be, but it takes effort. Uh, you've got to give yourself over to the Lord and, and understand his word, you know, grow in that. And then spiritual fruit is born out of that. And people aren't going to want to hear that, but it's the truth. Stop giving God grief about how he made you physically and look at yourself and say, how can I grow spiritually and be beautiful spiritually, as you said, with the character and who I am? Um, that far outweighs the outward. Uh, we, we know that as a fact from people we know in our own lives. Someone with great character, um, someone with a sterling character is far more precious to us um, as a whole than just one who has the looks but with, with no character. Yeah. It's, it's not worth anything. And that's just, I can remember many years ago with a former president, uh, the statements were made that, uh, well, character doesn't matter. It's, it's leadership that counts. Okay. Well, of course, they had to discount character because he was a character. Yeah. He was terrible. And <laughs> that was a direct contradiction of God. Character is everything. He wants us to imitate Jesus Christ. And if we can successfully do that, we'll be among the most beautiful people in the world. That's right. And That's we all that matters. Be. Let yeah. the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, we go. often sing. Yeah. That's awesome. But not this man. He was despised no. and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Again, we, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. Um, he suffered um, he is acquainted with grief. That's who he is. This defines him as a man on the earth, but as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. It's interesting Isaiah includes himself in some of this. We did not esteem him. It's just not 
like, like we talked about, n- not naturally within us to esteem someone uh, who comes off the way he does, whether by it's his physical looks or something else about him. But we know as we read through the Gospels that they absolutely rejected Jesus as the Messiah. I think John, of all the four Gospels, John does a great job of pointing that out over and over again. The men, the messengers come back to the Pharisees and, and, and they say, why didn't you bring him to us? You remember they, they mm-hmm. sent the, the guards out to go get him and they said, no one's ever spoken like this man. They say, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? Um, search and look. No prophet's ever risen out of Galilee. They, you know, they, they say, we've done the research. He's not who you think he is. Get over it. John 9 and verse 22, we're told there that the Jews had agreed that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. And so you have this passage, despised and rejected by men. Some by choice, the Pharisees, and Mm -hmm. some by force. The Jews were told, you want to accept him? You're out of here. And no one would be willing to take that because they still weren't sure about Jesus and it would ruin their life. Well, and there again, I believe they knew who he was because instead of appealing to Scripture in their argumentation, they're using intimidation and force and threats. Right. Don't don't believe in this man. Why? Well, because we just don't like him. That's He's right. a threat. Not not because of any Scripture we can produce. You have in fact, to agree. if they'd gone to Isaiah 53, they might have listened. Well, <laughs> they didn't want to listen. No, they did not. They want would to not listen. believe the report. That's right. So verse 4, Isaiah 53, 4, um, and I think here's where it really begins to show us and it's highlighted for us that we reference this as a prophecy concerning the Messiah, which it absolutely is. It is a servant song concerning Jesus Christ. But if you look at these different prophecies that are given to us in the Bible, um, Psalm 22 is the perspective of the Son. Uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac is a picture that God gives to us where we can watch the perspective of the Father. Mm-hmm. We see Abraham moving throughout that day, and he, he knows that he's going to sacrifice his son Isaac. At least he believes that he will. And so God shows us the pain found there in the heart of the Father. Isaiah 53, we're brought in. It, it's our perspective now. And I think, again, just watching the Lord unveil some of this for us You can really see it in verse 4. I'll just read through verse 6. Surely he has borne our grief. So watch how many times we see the words our and we. And carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so this pulls every human being into this prophecy. Yeah, and it, it, we see the, the contrasting views here, like you said. Uh, we esteemed him smitten and uh, uh, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. That's our view of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Look, he must have done something. He, he really isn't the, the Son of God. He's been stricken. Well, here's the true view. He was wounded for our transgressions, not for anything he did. So we've got it 180 degrees out. We're esteeming him stricken, but it's because we've been stricken by sin that Jesus does this for us. Here's the atonement. 
He's, he is going through this in order to take sin upon himself. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and to bring us back to him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. So what's going on here? This servant is suffering for us because of our situation, not his. And there's, there's part of the beauty. Greater love has no man than this, than one who will lay down his life for a friend. So here's this individual suffering for us, being put to death. He's taking our death on him. Why? Well, Isaiah's going to talk about that. (laughs) Yes, he is. I won't won't give a spoiler alert. (laughs) Those little brief phrases, again, I think four through six, you can just slow down as much as you can and read those Mm. really just word for word and see what has been accomplished, what has happened to him or through him for our sake. I think one of the most beautiful sections of that is in the end of verse five. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. It's almost like the chastisement required for our transgression and for our sin. In order for us to have peace, all of that chastisement was laid upon him and by his stripes we are healed. So that says it as well. As he is stricken by the Roman soldiers, those stripes are laid across his back. And so we can literally see that happen in the scourging by his stripes. We know that's what they did. Healing takes place in us as, as he is torn apart physically and his visage is marred more than any man Every lash is laid because of what I have done and what was required of me. And he stood in my place and taken that, as you said, as an innocent substitute. It is mind-blowing. Christ knows. The day Isaiah (laughs) writes this, Christ knows what that means of himself. Hmm. It's not time for him to come yet. You know, as you said, 700 years, and yet, it is written out on paper, and men will begin to contemplate these things. What does this mean? And it, the, the way is being prepared for him to come and, and to lay himself down for us. So it's just, it, it'll, it'll, it'll make you, it'll make you weep uh, if you think about the role that we play and what God's willing to do for us. Yes, and this, this is often, sadly, this passage is often diminished by those who try to apply apply it to physical healing. That wow. you know, if you're faithful, you'll you'll receive healing for your ailments or whatever. No, it's spiritual healing. Yeah. The end of verse six, the Lord laid on the on him the iniquity of us all. That's right. What do what does healing equate with uh when it comes to sin, because that's what's being talked about here. What is our our healing? How does that equate with sin? Well, it's not our physical condition, no. but we are sick. We are sick unto death because of sin, and there's only one e- healer that can deal with that, the one who took that sin upon himself and paid the penalty, died the death for that sin. Yeah, and it's not a temporal thing. It's an eternal thing. Yes. Because he's an eternal God, and he's paid a price that none of us could pay. Verse 7, he was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? 
for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He does not open his mouth. He's led as a lamb before the slaughter. I can think of multiple occasions during his trial. The Jews couldn't get him to talk. They, they forced him by saying, we bind you yeah. uh, by the living God. Yeah. yeah, You must answer this question. And that's the first time he says anything to them. Yeah. They send him to Herod, and Herod thinks he's going to perform some miraculous trick for him. He says nothing and does nothing for Herod. So Herod makes fun of him. They say scoffs at him and sends him back. And then he stands before Pilate, and, and there's just very few words that are recorded between him and Pilate. And I think you can probably help me with this. I think the greater message is not like whether or not he said a word or two, but it is he gave no word in his own defense. Right. Yeah. It's the contrast between, it, it's the regalness, if you will, of Jesus contrasted with a someone who really is a criminal. I mean... Pilate had seen this before. The guy would be slobbering, begging for mercy. I'm innocent, you know, whatever. They're pleading for mercy or, you know, whatever. And Jesus just quietly stands there in control of the situation. He's, he's really the one in charge here. Uh, as he told Pilate, you would have no power <laughs> unless it were given you from above. And we see over and over again, yeah. Pilate is terrified. Yeah. He, he does he, not, he does know not to do. want to deal with this situation. This man and is like nothing he's ever seen. It's interesting in that scene, Rome exonerates Jesus. There are several times that Pilate comes out and says, I find no fault in this man. I even sent him to Herod. He found and nothing. he sent him back. That's right. He hasn't done anything wrong. You haven't given me any proof. Well, why did he condemn him? He gave in to the pressure from the That's crowd. Right. They, they basically blackmailed him. They called on the name yeah. of Caesar to, yep. to put some You're, fear in him. Anyone who uh, who goes with him, they're no friend of Caesar because he claims to be a king. That's right. So to keep his political position, Pilate gave in. But he did not judge Jesus guilty. The Jews did. No, he didn't. That's and why he washed God his hands. God reversed that verdict. <laughs> yes, he did. It was all done according to the will. Yeah. The foreknowledge it's, of God. It's all laid out right here. Absolutely. So the last three verses, yet it pleased the Lord, and again, very difficult to read. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So again, mm. this is done, this is written as though it has already happened. Yeah, which is a, this is the prophetic perfect tense, uh, where a prophet will speak of something as having occurred, and yet it's far in the future. Yeah. So uh, that shows, too, the certainty of God's will according, uh, based on this, or, or uh, of this situation. When God speaks of something as having been done, 
then he's saying it's it's done. Yeah. Like sometimes someone will say, uh, I need you to go get this person. It's done. Well, they haven't gone to go get the person yet. But what they're affirming is, yeah, I'll go do that. Yep. Well, that's what God is saying. I'm going to do this. There is no doubt about it. Just as certainly as if it's already been done. Um, and in this final passage, uh, it's, there's so much in here. I know. Verses, uh, verse 8, for example, he was cut off from the land of the living. Verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked, but with, with the rich in his death. And yet verse 10 says, the Lord is going to prolong his days. <laughs> There's the resurrection. Yeah. So we're seeing the specifics of his suffering in, in verses 7 through 9, the, the second stanza of the song. Now we're seeing, in contrast to the opening stanza, where Israel rejected the servant in verses 10 through, or 10 through 12, yeah, God accepts his servant. You will be, I'll make your portion with the great. Um, I'll divide, uh, you'll, you'll divide the spoil with the strong. So here in spite of our view and everything he suffered, here's the exaltation, the resurrection. And what has it accomplished? He made intercession for the transgressors. He he bore the sin of many. That's right. Because of this act, he has brought us back to God. He's opened the way to God, just as we read in Matthew 27. At the moment he died, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. That's right. From heaven to earth. Because now, because of Jesus Christ, the way to God has been opened. That's and right. And all who want to come to that come that way that want to come to God can do so through him yeah, no man so, comes to the father but through me Jesus and, and said it, that's why the prophecy is about us as well because he has borne our griefs our griefs yeah. for our iniquities it's every single one of us that 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 come to him and, and acknowledge you know our own sin and that, that we do need a savior and, and that we believe he is the son of God that in that process then he, him on the cross in that moment for the individual is he's there for me and it's very personal, yeah. every one of us. In fact, I like to say that the work that Jesus did as described here in Isaiah 53 was accomplished for all humanity, for all time, for all sin. That's right. It, his sacrifice is complete. That's all that's needed. And there is no sin that his blood cannot cleanse. That's right. From Adam and Eve until this generation, yep. his blood is available to those who love the Lord. And love his appearing. In in verse nine, again, prophetic, they made his grave with the wicked. That so the you know, the Jews hating him as much as they did, they prepared a grave for him with the wicked because he's on the cross and there's a thief on either side of him. Mm-hmm. He's in the middle of there with Barabbas as well. You know, we might as well throw him in there. Th- these are wicked people that he's standing alongside as he's being judged and condemned to death. So as they prepared a grave for him, not not Joseph of Arimathea's grave, but as they plotted his death and that he would be in a grave that day, um, they did it with the wicked. And so that they're fulfilling prophecy in their own anger and their hatred toward him. Uh, they're making this possible. And then it says, but with the rich at his death, how could anyone ever fulfill that prophecy? Yeah. How can who, you be? Who would ever think of it? Exactly. Who, I mean, it's who impossible. Would, who would contrive this sequence of events? And we know that he was with the rich at his death because Joseph of Arimathea, a very, very wealthy man, 
in Israel asked for the body of Jesus after he was uh, finally put to death. And then we're told in the Gospel of John that Nicodemus joins Joseph and he brings a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes to anoint the body. Not cheap. No, these are two extremely wealthy men and they are on their hands and knees wrapping his, his dead body and preparing him to be placed into a grave that had been hewn out of stone, which also was very expensive to get that done. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just hope, I, it doesn't tell us, I hope that Joseph and um, Nicodemus at some point looked at each other and said, man, I've been thinking about Isaiah 53 all day long. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're not broke. It, it had to come Joseph. to Joseph, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we are, we are in the middle of fulfilling prophecy, yeah. as difficult as it would be to fulfill. And you also see the innocence and the purity of Jesus at the end of verse 9. He had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. In other words, he didn't deserve to be treated. He wasn't guilty of anything. Which again emphasizes the fact he's not doing it for himself. That's right. He's doing it for us. Yeah, it's such a beautiful picture. John chapter 1 tells us that he was full of grace and truth. There can't be deceit in someone who's full of overflowing yep. with truth. Someone full of truth is not going to lie. <laughs> if they do, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If they do, you're not no full of truth anymore. That's exactly so, right. So, yes, Jesus, there was no deceit in his mouth. Well, we've done our very best to cover Isaiah 53 with the time that we've allowed ourselves and that you'll give us permission to use. And we're so thankful to all of you for, for sitting through this with us. Uh, what a phenomenal, phenomenal chapter in the Bible. And what do you call Isaiah? I like to call, uh, especially this chapter, the gospel according to Isaiah. Yes. For the very reason you pointed out earlier, that it sounds like a New Testament passage. Yeah. It fits right in. It it could be in the New Testament. In fact, Isaiah is the most (laughs) quoted prophet in the New Testament. Most of it is in the New Testament. So he's he's there. (laughs) That's awesome. want everyone to put their thinking caps on, their spiritual thinking caps, uh, and be ready for these four questions that Kurt and I will ask. Kurt, what is your first question? Um, we'll go to the New Testament. When, when Matthew was called by Jesus to follow him, what was his job? Matthew was a tax collector. Yes, he was. Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 9, and chapter 10, verse 3, which was a despised position in Israel. That's right. And so... Here's the accusation of the Pharisees. This man, he consorts with sinners and tax collectors. The worst. Ugh. The dregs of humanity. When Jesus came, I didn't, I didn't come to heal those that are well. I came to heal the sick. That's right. And so he calls a wretched sinner, and that wretched sinner chooses to follow him. And there's a beautiful picture there in, in Matthew as well. It's, yeah. it's really an awesome thing. And what was the passage, Matthew? Matthew 9, 9 and 10, 3. All right. Identifies him as a tax collector. Tax collector. Good thing about tax collectors is they're really good at keeping records. Yes. So. He would have been used to writing and he would have been educated to do so. so. That's right. To record the life of Jesus, he's just the man for the job. Yeah. Um, you know, for his vocation anyway. Um, question number one for you. Get ready. This is tough. What does the word gospel mean? <laughs> I'll just keep it simple. It means good news. That's exactly right. Or glad tidings. Glad tidings, yeah. good news. 
There is not a Bible verse for that, but I thought it's appropriate because this is the common sense gospel. That's the name of our show. Mm. The common sense good news. Yeah, That's what we do. Well, just as we read about in Isaiah 53 and what that accomplished, it's good news. Yeah. We're saved from our sins in Jesus Christ. The good news is... No better news than that. You're guilty and you know it, but there's salvation granted. That's that's amazing news. There's none better. All right, very good. Uh, Here's my second one uh, then. Uh, When Moses saw the burning bush and, and turned aside to see what was going on, where was was he where was that burning bush located oh man i don't know why i'm thinking horeb you're correct really yep mount horeb or otherwise known as mount sinai god met him there (laughs) and then he told him bring the people back to this okay uh that's exodus chapter three verses one and two i knew i knew he brought them back to horeb that's why i thought that's too early but yeah well the burning bush was on mount horeb man take your sandals off for the place where you stand is holy ground that is awesome. Okay. Final question of the day. All righty. You ready? Drum roll, please. Ellen? <laughs> <laughs> How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Not once, not twice, but thrice. <laughs> Three times he dis- denied that he knew Jesus. That's right. Matthew 26 and verse 75 uh, Peter remembered that Jesus said that he will deny me three times before the cock crows. And he wept bitterly. He ran out and wept bitterly. Luke's gospel says that after Peter had done this, that the Lord looked at him. And that is him. Mm. Yeah, that was like a stake in the heart. Yeah, for for Jesus and for Peter, Jesus didn't want to see him fail. No. And Peter didn't want to fail. But he didn't have it within himself. It shows you what peer pressure can do. Absolutely, yeah. The people around you, you'll, yeah. you'll change hats quick if it means saving your own skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was not the deal anyway. He just thought it was going to be. He, he saw Jesus on trial. He didn't want any part of that. And so he denied him. But, yeah, that's a lot to be learned there for us that we don't want to deny our Lord and our Savior because we have more information than Peter does Yes. in the moment. Yep, the judgment will be greater on us if we turn and deny that we know Jesus. I believe that's true. Thank you again very much, all of you, for joining us today. We hope and pray that you had done well with the questions that we had for you today, but we also hope and pray that you took something with you uh, that'll be helpful to you in the upcoming days and weeks, because the reality is, is we need it. We're, we're living in a dark time, and uh, the glorious gospel is still available to all who will hear, and we pray that it's useful to you to, to hold your head up high, um, to do all that you can to show that you love the Lord and you serve Him with all your heart, all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul.